Hi, my name is Robert, and thanks for listening to Storytime with the Springs podcast. This is where I share stories I've been making up for my two kids at bedtime for years. I decided to write them out and record them with their help as podcast episodes in case anyone else wants to enjoy them too. Sometimes my youngest daughter doesn't want a three-hour story, and who could blame her? She wants a 20-minute one. So I decided to write and record a version of one of our stories as a single episode rather than what I was planning on, which was like a 10-episode series. If you do end up listening to the longer version, and I hope you do, you will notice that it includes a lot more details about the world and characters. Also, this is the first episode where my daughter Iris is doing all her own dialogue herself, and I think she did a wonderful job. Okay, enough intro. Here we go. The Shark in the Bay, the short version. In the quaint seaside town of Urk, a sense of urgency filled the air as townsfolk gathered in the town hall. A call had gone out through the whole town for an emergency meeting. The reason given was extremely serious. Something had scared off all the fish in the bay, so the whole town was in attendance. The feeling of anxiety was heavy in the air, and Samsara, Iris's wise grandmother and a respected member of the Elder Council of Urk, presided over the meeting with a grave expression. Standing up, she called the meeting to order and began calling people to the front one by one to question them in front of the town. That was so everyone could hear about what was happening out on the water. The council of five town elders and the whole town itself was sitting or standing shoulder to shoulder in the town hall that afternoon, listening intently as various fisherfolk recounted finding their nets empty and torn in the now barren bay over the course of the previous week. And if the fish had all left, then they would all starve. So it was a really big deal. Turns out the fish started disappearing a week before, and by three days ago, they were gone completely. In the beginning, they had no idea what was causing them to leave, until rumors started spreading that a massive dark creature had been spotted just under the surface moving incredibly fast. At first, these rumors were just ignored, explained away that it was probably just taken the dolphin playing his tricks again. Even though the few fishers that had seen the dark creature said it was way too big to be taken. But then yesterday, it was close enough to the surface a few times to make big waves, almost capsizing three different fishing boats. After the third one, word went out on the water with one boat shouting to another to head back in straight away. The sailors had yelled, Token is trying to sink us for some reason. Head back in right away. Pass it on. There was much confusion amongst the fishing fleet as these messages went out. It's true that Token and Iris had accidentally knocked over one fisherman a year ago, and he was still pretty sore about getting soaked and losing a day's worth of fish, but they'd never repeated that mistake since. Token was normally a very helpful animal, so not all of the fisherfolk were as rushed to head back in as others were. Some had stayed trying to pull the last of their destroyed nets in before heading back. That is until Tong, the sea marshal, the unofficial captain of the fleet, found an enormous shark tooth tangled in one of his destroyed nets. It was his turn to stand in front of the town and tell his account of events. Addressing the crowd in front of him, he said, And that's when I called old One-Eye over to look at it. On account of his One-Eye being sharper than my two, is I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing at first. He pulled the giant white tooth from a bag he was carrying and pretended to squint at it before holding it up with two hands above his head for everyone to see. A large gasp in unison erupted from the crowd. It was by far the largest shark tooth anyone had ever seen. The razor-sharp edges glinted in the afternoon light that was beaming in from the large windows above. 
Tong explained that when old one-eyed Chumley and the other crewmate of his, Scurvy Sally, confirmed it was exactly what he thought it was, he'd given the order to sound the great horn of danger immediately. That was the signal to anyone swimming or out on a boat in the bay to get back to land immediately. It meant danger in the water. Tong walked over to the small stage where the elder council was seated and passed the tooth up to Samsara, who examined it deeply before passing it on to Elder Jorgen to her left. Tong turned back to his captive audience, who was hanging on his every word. We made sure we was the last boat out, and started rowing back to the docks as if we were trying to win the Midsummer Championship boat race. Whatever sea beast that tooth belonged to sure wanted it back. Just as we got within spitting distance of the dock, all of a sudden old one-eyed Chumley and Scurvy Sally and me were flying through the air, like a trio of drunken seagulls we were. Then just like that we stopped flying and started falling like a sack of rotten fish guts. Aye, but Lady Luck smiled on me good this morning, she did. Thank the stars above and the seas below, there was a nice bunch of pillows just sitting there for me to land on. Though you could have been a little softer, eh? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, it hurts to laugh. Then a grim look passed over his face, the pain reminding him of the brutal landing his crewmates had endured. Aye, but Lady Luck had none to spare for old Chumley or Sally. The rumors are true, he said sadly, thinking of his severely injured crewmates. A deep feeling of anger stirred in his heart for the beasts that had harmed his friends. They got hurt so bad, they may never work the seas again. Everyone who had heard Sally sound the horn from one end of the bay to the other wanted to know why, and they'd gathered on the docks, anxiously waiting for Tong and his crew to return. News about the mysterious creature and ripped nets had spread through the town quickly over the previous week, and many had rushed down to find out what was going on from the town when they'd heard the horn sound. While they waited on the dock for Tong to return, there were some that grumbled about why the horn was sounded and how much it had disturbed their day's work. But they soon found out that Tong had been absolutely right to call the horn, because as soon as he reached within about a boat length of the dock, the rear half exploded in a huge column of water, as if a massive bomb had detonated right underneath it. The only reason Tong, Sally, and Chumley weren't more seriously injured or worse, is because when this happened, they were near the bow. They were getting ready to throw their ropes to people waiting for them on the dock so they could be pulled in and tied up. Instead, the front half of the boat lurched in such a way that they were catapulted through the air. Someone brought Tong a chair, and he sat down. He was clearly tired from his ordeal. He finished, Truth be told, it all happened so fast. We never saw what manner of monster did this. And I fear we don't have the equipment or the expertise to hunt it down properly. There was grumbling from the crowd by the bandaged, battered, and bruised sailors and townsfolk who'd been injured by having Tong smash into them. They all shared a similar sentiment, that this could have happened to any of them, or much worse. Word had already gone around that Chumley and Sally's injuries were far worse than Tong's. Unlike him, they landed hard, tumbling on the surface of the dock till they crashed into a stack of empty barrels. They had no one or nothing to break their falls. Their injuries were very serious. Sally's knee was badly smashed and she would be lucky if she could ever use her right leg properly again. Old One-Eyed Chumley's good eye had been pierced by a large splinter in the explosion and it was feared he would be left completely blind. They both had multiple ribs and other bones broken as well. They were in really, really bad shape. The Elder Council thanked Tong and continued to ask people to be interviewed in front of the town each giving their versions of events of the last week and then the explosion at the docks. 
The point was to try to get as many details straight so they could come up with a plan. One could never know what small piece of information could end up being essential, and it was important that nothing was overlooked. It was an exhaustive process, but a necessary one as one person after another repeated roughly the same points over the course of the rest of the afternoon. And those were simply that no one had gotten a good look at the shark, if that's what it even was. Even when it smashed Tong's boat, there was too much water debris and people flying through the air to see what it was. But it became clear it was extremely dangerous, whatever it was, and they were still completely in the dark about what they were going to do about it. Iris, with her shoulder-length hair the color of golden sand at dawn, and sharp green eyes, stood quietly at the back of the room. Her heart was heavy with worry. Samsara's eyes finally met hers, and in that glance, and with a slight nod from Samsara towards the door, a silent agreement was forged. Iris knew exactly what she had to do next. Sometimes, Iris and Samsara had an ability to communicate with just a look, almost as if they could read each other's thoughts. Iris had always just assumed that everyone did this with their family from time to time and never thought much of it. Today, the message was clear. Go to the beach and see what you can learn from Tukin. Tukin being the bay's resident dolphin and also her best friend and mentor. The next look from Samsara was clear too, as it was a piercing glare that said, Do not go in the water. Iris silently promised by nodding her head three times up and down. She slipped out the back door of the town hall without anyone else noticing. Everyone in Uruk knew about Iris's unique abilities. She could communicate with any sea creature, breathe underwater, and she would never get too cold. Pretty handy for someone who spends as much time as she did swimming with her dolphin friend. Iris ran as fast as she could down to the beach to talk to her friend. Her favorite sea creature of all time took in the dolphin. She had brand new shoes on that seemed to give her extra speed. They were magical shoes woven from the silk of the spider queen she'd befriended and saved the week before. They seemed to be able to grip without slipping onto anything. In fact, it's how she'd climbed out of the Spider Queen's lair so she could finally go home. Now they were helping her run so fast, she felt like she was almost flying. She only had a few minutes of enjoying this new sensation of speed when her heart skipped a beat as she reached the beach. That's when she suddenly found Tukin lying on the sand far from the water's edge, looking dried out and gasping for breath. Iris panicking thought to herself as she sprinted right over to him. Oh no, he must have been out here all day. His usually sleek gray skin was now dull and threatened to crack under the unforgiving sun. Upon sighting Tukin in his dire state, Iris cried out. Please, Tukin, don't die. Iris understood the dangers of dolphin being beached for too long. Without the buoyancy of water, Tukin's weight could crush his internal organs, and the absence of water would lead to severe dehydration and skin damage. She acted swiftly, sprinting to the docks nearby. She grabbed a bucket and ran back, dousing him with seawater, offering temporary relief. Then she ran as fast as she could back to the town hall to get help. She was so grateful for the speed her new shoes were now granting her. Iris burst back into the town hall, where the meeting was still happening, and she yelled out, Tukin speeched himself, I need your help. Upon hearing Tukin's plight, many people came down to the beach and immediately came to Tukin's aid. They formed a human chain passing buckets of seawater hand over hand in order to keep his skin moist. Children ran to their homes, returning with small fish, which Tukin gratefully accepted, his strength visibly returning with each bite. They even erected a shade structure above him to keep the sun off. The efforts paid off as eventually he slowly opened his eyes and looked at Iris, 
whispering something she couldn't quite make out. She saw how hard he was struggling to speak, so she bent over and put her ear right next to his mouth. In a quiet, raspy voice, he said, Mad shark, chase, I jumped. He looked deep into Iris's eyes, seeing her worry and concern, and said, I'm okay. He struggled to get the words out, the effort draining what small amount of energy he had left. He closed his eyes once more, and then said four more words. Sleep now. Explain later. And with that, he passed out. Iris wept for her friend, hugging him with her head pressed against his back. And then she realized she could hear his heartbeat and stopped crying. It was slow but steady and strong. And then she saw him take a healthy breath from his blowhole, and it was strong too. She inspected him from head to tail and didn't see any new scratches or bite marks or obvious injuries. He must be one tough dolphin to jump this far from the water, she thought. She started to relax, feeling hope return. He really was okay, just completely exhausted. Iris was so focused on Tuken, she didn't realize a large crowd of townsfolk had gathered around him and her on the beach. So she stood up and addressed them. In a loud voice, she said, He knows what happened to the fish. He beached himself to escape it, but he's going to be okay. He's exhausted. He needs to recover. When he wakes up, he'll tell us everything he knows. This was welcome news to everyone gathered there. And a small cheer went out, and suddenly they got to work. As night fell, a makeshift tank of water was built to shield him from the harsh elements and prevent him from drying out. A dolphin would not last a night on land without protection and care. The shipbuilders of Urk hastily built a crate a little larger than Tuken and filled it with seawater. They carefully lifted him onto a canvas sheet and then used that to carefully lower him into the small pool they'd built. There was enough room that he could float mostly submerged with just his dorsal fin and blowhole out of the water. He stayed unconscious the whole time, but Iris kept checking on his heartbeat and his breathing just to be sure he was still okay. The townsfolk took turns bringing buckets of water, ensuring Tuken was continuously hydrated and comfortable. The tank was leaking on account of it being built so quickly, but the leak was slow enough that it didn't take nearly the same amount of buckets as they'd needed earlier when Tuken was baking to death in the hot afternoon sun. Someone eventually got Iris a blanket, and she fell asleep herself next to his temporary home. She woke with a start to her grandmother, stirring her in the early dawn light. As she rubbed her blurry eyes, she sat up and blurted out, Is Tuken okay? Yes, dear. He's awake now and he's okay. Close to his old self, it appears. Iris was disoriented and confused because her last memory was falling asleep in the sand next to Tuken's tank. Now, she was on a small mattress with a big warm blanket some ways down the beach. In her half-asleep mind, it was confusing at first. Wait, where am I? Samsara quickly explained they'd moved her the same way they'd moved Tuken during the night. Samsara said she knew that Iris would play a big role in what was to happen next, and she needed Iris to be well-rested. Iris gave her grandmother a big hug and thanked her. She did feel well-rested after all and appreciated her grandmother's caring ways. When suddenly she heard Tuken call for her, she immediately threw off her blanket and dashed down the beach. When she got to his tank, she leaned over. Yes, Tuken, I'm here. He rolled on his side and looked at her and smiled. By the seas and stars, am I so glad you're okay. In classic Iris style, she started peppering him immediately with questions. What happened? You said it was a shark? He chased you? What happened to all the fish? Tuken had to splash her really good in the face with water to get her to stop. Tuken splashed her really good in the face with water to get her to stop. Wiping the water from her eyes, she smiled as she got the message. 
Let me speak, child, Tukin said in a hushed voice. Iris nodded silently while doing a motion across her lips indicating that they were sealed. Tukin relayed to Iris the cause of the bay's desolation, that a colossal great white shark had gone completely insane and driven all the fish away. He had tried to eat everything that swam in the bay, even if it was a type of fish a shark would normally never eat. Not only that, but even with the fish gone, it still wasn't leaving. Normally a shark takes what it needs and moves on, so this was clearly against its nature. Tugan explained that a shark this size could go for weeks, maybe months without eating anything. So even though there was nothing in the bay, it was probably going to stick around, preventing any fish from returning. Iris asked, what he thought had caused the madness in the first place. Tukin told her that he saw a massive harpoon was sticking out from its side, causing a large wound, that the pain and sickness of that kind of wound is probably what had driven it into such a mindless frenzy. Tukin described how he had bravely tried to divert the mad shark's attention over the last week, but nearly lost his life several times in the process. He'd been trying to save as many fish as he could by getting the mad shark to chase him instead, but he was almost bitten three times. Eventually, he had to launch himself as far as he could onto the beach. He knew he couldn't outlast such a powerful and enormous predator for much longer. Feeling his own strength waning, he'd used the last of it to jump as far as he could and then wriggle high above the high water mark so he would be safe, at least temporarily. I had faith in you, Iris. You are as dependable as the tide. I knew you'd come to save me. After making sure that... Tukin was comfortable and cared for. After making sure that Tukin was comfortable and cared for, she let Samsara know who was standing nearby that she was ready to speak to the town and let them know all of the information that Tukin had just given her. So later that morning, Iris prevented later that morning, Iris presented this dire information at the town hall. Some of the younger, more brash fisher folk, fueled by fear and frustration, clamored for a fight against the mad shark. Before that kind of talk could turn into something serious, Samsara wrapped her walking staff three times on the hall's wooden stage for silence. Her voice firm when she spoke next, and it carried the weight of wisdom. I hear how angry and scared you are, but we must understand that this shark's madness also stems from pain and fear. This is an unnatural way to be for him. Fighting him could lead to more loss and suffering. We are not a warrior people, nor do we hunt creatures of this size. Remember, we are a peaceful folk that live in harmony with each other and the sea. If you go to fight this mad shark, a shark the size of a whale, she held up the huge tooth to the crowd that Tong had given her, it seems then some of you will surely die, and then we will be even worse off than we are now, for we'll have lost some of our best fisher folk, and then who's going to feed us? The hall fell into a restless murmur. The townsfolk, though desperate, understood the sense of her argument. Samsara's words echoed in all their minds, but it ignited a spark of empathy for the tortured shark in one person in particular. The shark was dangerous and destructive, but it wasn't completely his fault. If it was true that he'd gone mad because he was attacked, then maybe Iris could spare his life by getting him to leave. She at least had to try, she thought. She stepped on stage and she implored the whole crowd. People of Urk! You have to trust me. I have a plan. Token and I will get him to chase us out of the bay. Someone yelled out at her. I don't know, Iris. That sounds pretty dangerous. When we trick him into leaving, he'll have no reason to return. This definitely caught some people's attention. 
but there was one lone voice, a young fisherman named Tom, who said, I think we should fight him instead. Promise me that you will not go into battle until I return. After some discussion, reluctantly, the fisherfolk all agreed, their trust in Iris outweighing their thirst for a swift resolution. She had done miraculous things before, and they'd all seen at one point or another her incredible speed at swimming. It felt like half the town was following Iris down back to the beach. Alongside her walked Samsara. Samsara told Iris that she believed in her, but she also made Iris promise her that she would be as safe as she possibly could, and that if it looked like she couldn't make the shark leave, that she was to return to shore immediately. When they got to the shore, volunteers carried Tukin to the water and waded in. He practically jumped out of the canvas sling they used to carry him there. Oh my, I've never been landside so long. How do you even manage it? Tukin said. He swam a few circles around, showing he was ready to start their mission. Iris slipped into the cool embrace of the ocean with Tukin by her side. The water, her second home, welcomed her with its familiar caress. Now Tukin, fully recovered, was a gray streak darting through the water beside her. As they ventured deeper, the mad shark's shadow in the distance loomed. The massive great white with its jagged scar and the ominous harpoon jutting from his side was an embodiment of pain and rage. His eyes, clouded with torment, fixed on Iris and Tukin as he approached at a rapid speed. The chase had begun. Tukin, with his innate understanding of the sea, led the dance. He wove through underwater canyons and coral forests, his movements a blur of grace and speed. Iris, her special abilities allowing her to match Tukin's pace, followed closely. The mad shark, powerful but pained, pursued with relentless fury. For three days and nights they swam. The ocean around them was a whirl of motion, a ballet of survival. Tukin and Iris, though smaller and less powerful, were agile and clever. They used the ocean's landscape to their advantage, darting through narrow crevices and leading the mad shark through twisting paths where his massive size was a hindrance. Exhaustion began to set in. Their muscles ached, and their breaths came in ragged gasps. The mad shark, too, showed signs of weariness, his movements becoming sluggish, but his determination never wavered. After three days and nights, both Iris and Tukin were unable to lead the shark from the bay. As soon as they hit the deeper waters just beyond the bay's entrance, he would swiftly turn around and head back in. They tried over and over, but the result was always the same. Iris finally said to Tukin, we got to think of something fast, Tukin. A lot of people are going to die if we don't. And that poor sick shark will too. I too am almost completely out of strength. Another hour of this chase and he'll be eating us both. If only there was some way to cure his madness. It was then that Iris remembered her grandmother's words. One time when a little angry boy had thrown a rock hitting Iris in the back for what seemed like no reason. She said, Iris, some people hurt people because they are hurt. In a moment of insight, Iris signaled Tukin. She knew exactly what she had to do. I'm going to pull out that harpoon even if it kills me. Iris, we could both die trying that plan, Tukin said gravely. I won't let anybody die, including you or that shark. Tukin, we at least have to try. Iris said, now more determined than ever. Once again, Iris, you are right, Tukin replied. Sometimes to swim fast, you must surf the biggest waves. And I think I know just a route to take where you can hide. I'll lead the mad shark past you. And then you jump out and grab that harpoon. He looked at Iris once more. You know, if this doesn't work, 
he trailed off. That's why it has to work. Heading back into the bay, they executed a daring maneuver, leading the mad shark towards a shallow reef. As the shark charged, Iris positioned herself strategically, tucked in a crevice just around the corner. And as he passed, Tooken yelled out, Now, Iris! Now! She reached out with a burst of speed and grasped the shaft of the harpoon as hard as she could. The mad shark's reaction was immediate and violent. He thrashed in the water, a storm of fury and confusion. Iris held on with all her might, her fingers wrapped tightly around the wooden shaft of the harpoon while she was being flailed around. Her body was jolted violently from side to side with each movement of the shark, but with a stroke of luck she managed to press her feet against his rough skin. Her new magic shoes gifted to her by the Spider Queen allowed her to stick firmly to his side. With a final desperate cry to the ocean itself, Iris pulled as hard as she could. After what seemed like an eternity to Iris, the harpoons finally managed to work its way free from the giant shark's flesh. Blood suddenly clouded the water, and the shark's movements grew erratic as he immediately swam away. As quickly as the frenzy had begun, it ended. The pain that had driven the shark to madness now eased as his form disappeared into the blue. Iris and Tuken, their bodies pushed to the brink, floated gently to the surface. The ocean around them was calm once more. The only evidence of their epic struggle was the broken harpoon in Iris's hand. Iris was overjoyed when she yelled out, Tooken, we did it! We saved the bay! To their horror and surprise, they heard a deep growly voice suddenly speak right behind them. You also saved me. Iris and Tooken were instantly terrified. They slowly turned around, only to see it was exactly who they most feared it was. That's when Iris saw the largest set of teeth she'd ever seen in her whole life. Three giant rows of razor-sharp shark teeth, each one as big as her hand. Oh no, we're dead meat, thought Iris. Please be at ease. We are at peace now. You have won the battle. I only seek a parley with my rescuers. Iris and Tuken were so shocked and surprised, they didn't even think to flee at first. Though even if they wanted to at this point, they couldn't have because they didn't have the strength anymore. They were completely exhausted from three days and nights of being chased at top speed by this enormous predator. Now that she had time to really look at him, she could see just how huge he really was. He must have been as big as a whale, she thought. Iris noticed he had lots of scars all over his body. To have that many be that size, he must be ancient, Iris thought. And partly magical, too. The shark continued. I owe you both a life debt. I only remember bits and pieces of the last... I don't know how long it's been, but I feel deeply ashamed of what I do remember. I hunted your bay until it was empty, and then I hunted you. This is not the way of the shark. We are predators and hunters, but we are supposed to be part of the balance, not something that destroys it. My law is that we take only what we need and nothing more. I deeply apologize for my behavior, and I thank you with all my heart for saving my life. Iris, still quite scared of all those teeth, asked timidly, So you're not going to eat us after all? By the moons above and the depths below, I swear I will not eat you. You are under my protection now. I owe you that much and a fair bit more. Iris blurted out, Oh, that's a relief. She started to relax a little, finally. 
though she was still quite scared of this gigantic shark in front of her. She just couldn't stop staring at all those teeth. The shark could see that he was intimidating her, so he backed up a little bit and said, Let me introduce myself properly. I am King Razortooth Omashirai Rexicon, Lord of the Eleven Seas, Battlemaster of the Blue, a ninth-degree Kraken Keeper in the Secret Order of the... Oh, well, that's a secret. And Chief of the Four Great Reefs and Emperor of All Sharks. He seemed to realize that he had gotten carried away in announcing his many titles and honorifics, so he added quickly, But you can just call me King Razortooth. Nice to meet you, King Razortooth. Iris looked over at Tukin, who was staring at the king angrily. So she elbowed him gently, prompting him to introduce himself. Well, I'm Tukin, and it has not been so nice to meet you, Razortooth. There was an anger in his voice that Iris had never heard before. Maybe it was just that he was upset about almost being eaten over and over again this last week. But Iris had a gut feeling that it was something deeper than that. It was like Tukin already knew the king, the way that he said his name with such venom. The king either didn't notice or didn't care. He was much more interested in the harpoon that Iris was holding. I see you have the weapon of my near destruction in your possession. May I look at it briefly? Iris flinched slightly, and she almost backed away as he swam closer to peer at the harpoon. But she held it out for him to see instead. She was still quite nervous about being so close to a shark that had been trying to eat them for days, but she was starting to realize the danger was truly past. If he really wanted to eat them, he would have already done it. Just as I suspected. That harpoon has been poisoned with dark magic. No wonder I was driven mad. Still, it was very brave of you both to battle me, even in my weakened state. You risked your life to save mine. So you may ask anything of me, and if it is in my power to grant your wish, I will, no matter what you ask. Iris knew immediately what she wanted to ask of the king. Using her best manners, she said, Oh, powerful king, lord of all the sharks in the seas, I really don't mean to be rude, but could you please leave our bay and never come back? I, I must ask, why don't you ask me for treasure? or riches, or magic that will make you powerful beyond your wildest dreams. You ask for just a simple favor? I am an ancient king of the oceans, and I owe you both a life debt. You could ask anything of me, and yet all you want is for me to leave. I am curious. Why do you not ask for more? Since you scared all the fish away, my people are going to starve. If you stay, they won't return. I do not need riches or power. I just want my people to be able to feed themselves. Now it was King Razortooth's turn to be completely surprised. I am humbled to grant your unselfish request. I will leave and never come back. What's more, I will decree that this bay is off limits to any shark, and you are both under my eternal protection. The fish will start returning tomorrow, when they learn that your bay is now safe from me and my kind. Goodbye, brave ones. Just like that, he swam off into the deep blue. Iris swam over to Tukin and gave him a long, hard hug. I love you, Tukin. You believed in me. You're a true friend. Tukin responded kindly. I love you too, Iris. As if you were one of my own pod. Let's get you home. 
Iris and Tukin started slowly swimming back to shore, when Tukin suddenly said, Iris, I just remembered I never asked that shark to grant my wish. He still owes me. Save me some pickled mackerel for when I return tonight. I won't be long, I promise. Before Iris could protest, he turned around and took off in the direction of the king shark. When Iris got to shore, she found a huge crowd waiting for her at the beach. She slowly walked herself out of the water and announced to the crowd that the bay was finally safe. All the fish are going to return. The bay is saved. Immediately, a huge cheer went out from the whole town that had gathered on the beach. Iris was so exhausted from the whole ordeal that she sat down right in front of everyone and could barely keep her eyes open. She was carefully placed in a cot and carried very gently up to her home in the town up on the hill. While she slept, the whole town prepared a massive party in the honor of Tukin and Iris. It was sunset by the time Tukin was spotted down by the docks, and when Iris was woken up some hours later, she had forgotten all about asking him what wish he'd gone back to ask the king to grant. The party was one of the town's best. There was music and fireworks and a lot of dancing and joking around, and plenty of good food to eat. There was no reason to hold back any in reserve now. Many times, Iris was hoisted on people's shoulders while they cheered for her, and people brought many pickled treats to throw into Tukin's mouth as he did trick after trick for them down by the docks. And true to King Razortooth's word, over the next few days, the fish returned, and it was like he'd never been there at all. Well, that's the end of the Shark in the Bay story, at least the short version. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time on Storytime with the Springs.